The Full Exposure Podcast is made possible by Metro Health, University of Michigan Health, and Dr. Peter Hahn in appreciation for the contributions that artists and creative minds provide to our community. Arts and culture are essential to a rich and rewarding life, strengthening our overall well-being and our appreciation of all that we see, hear, and experience. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of Full Exposure with me, your host, Brian Kelly. I want to jump right into this episode with Justin Willman. It is a good one. I uh, first met Justin uh, in 2012 when he was a performer for Laugh Fest. And um, we had a quick shoot in Grand Rapids and uh, just clicked and had a good time. And then he was back again for Laugh Fest in 2015. I did another portrait of him. And uh, Justin is an amazing magician, a comedian. He mixes uh, comedy and, and magic, uh, unlike um, anyone, I think, in the comedy scene. He really um, blends both worlds in a very, very unique way. And, um, and I've sort of struck up a friendship with him. This episode was shot in Los Angeles, or actually in Studio City. We were uh, Justin was kind enough to host our podcast at his home in Studio City. And um, in his backyard, and even uh, during this episode, you're going to hear uh, some uh, airplanes outside. You're going to hear some um, neighbors that had some leaf blowers going and <laughs> some other lawn equipment. But we powered through this episode and this recording at his home in Studio City. And uh, Justin has uh, become a friend. We've sort of bonded over... Um, uh, his wife has uh, Jill has type one diabetes. My daughter Maddie, who's eighteen, has type one diabetes since she was four, and uh, we talked about that last year. I was out in Los Angeles last year, um, a little over a year ago, I guess, or almost two years ago, and uh, I contacted Justin and um, said, "Hey, I'm in town. Do you want to do a photo shoot?" And we had a spectacular photo shoot um, together over the course of a few hours in downtown Los Angeles. I'll post some of those older portraits that I did of uh, Justin over the years on the fullexposurepodcast.com episode page for um, Justin. And uh, But we also shot some new portraits in his backyard in Studio City, and I really like those as well. Um, and so, Justin, uh, I really need to credit LaughFest uh, for, you know, this collaboration I've had with them for 10 years in introducing me to Justin and also many, 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 many other top comics and performers um, uh, from around the world that have come in for LaughFest. And um, it's a, a fantastic organization. In fact, Justin is coming back for the 2020 edition of Laugh Fest in March, and you want to get tickets to see that. And uh, we also spend uh, quite a bit of time in this episode talking about his incredibly um, popular Netflix show called Magic for Humans. And if you have not seen this, uh, Justin's um, show on Netflix. Um, it is really, really, really well done. I'm not overstating it. It's a lot of fun. It's a, it's a, a, a show for the whole family. And he uses um, street magic and um, 
encounters with regular folks and um, does just these amazing tricks with social commentary and some other things. So there's a lot of layers to his comedy. There's many layers to his magic. He's one of the nicest people I've met through LaughFest, and um, I can't wait for you to get into this episode. And as always, be sure to check out uh, Justin's dedicated episode page on the fullexposurepodcast.com website. You'll see portraits I've shot of Justin over the years. You'll see video excerpts of our conversation in his backyard. I need to thank Metro Health, University of Michigan Health, and Dr. Peter Hahn for helping to underwrite these on-location episodes. Um, And uh, this was shot back in October of this year. And we're just getting it out uh, to time with the release of Magic for Humans, which just came out this week, season two. And there'll be a season three being released uh, sometime in 2020. So uh, with that, let's get into it. Let's explore the bigger picture with magician, comedian, actor, Justin Wilman. point is when you have that kind of power the the real power is in restraining it that's true you're a noble man <laughs> you're a noble man <laughs> just hey we're good oh yeah we're rolling. oh all oh, right good. nice all right let's get this let's let's light it up in the backyard this is awesome i love being at your house thank you for having us up here to do this thanks man let's just break down our history because it, you know i'm just not randomly it wasn't a random kind of like hey yeah we you don't know back. me but uh I'm trying to think. It was the first or second year of Laugh Fest. Uh-huh. And you came in. T- I think you were in a, a theater out in Holland, which is like a half hour from Grand Rapids. And right. I caught you. That's where they put the best acts. Exactly. The, the, the Knickerbocker Theater. I think uh-huh. it was, yeah. And, um, well, they didn't have a venue that could contain yes. your audience. That's nice to be so they're like they <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> So they're like, we need to give this guy his own city. And then you went out there. But we did a very quick shoot in the JW Marriott. Uh, just, I don't even know how long it lasted. It was probably 10 minutes. But you were great, but you are trying to get out there for sound check or something. So we yeah. kept it real quick. And they came out really nice. And yeah, I, I didn't know to what you. to expect. I, I, and it was awesome yeah. and fast. Normally, you know, it takes a little while to kind of, I guess, as a subject, feel like you're kind of in, sure. in the groove and, like, relaxed. Takes a but, minute. yeah. We kind of clicked right away. Mm-hmm. I think I sprayed cards everywhere, made a mess. Yeah, you were tossing them. Yeah, mm-hmm. we did make a mess. There, we did actually quite in... That was a lightning fast shoot, and I think we did three different setups in yeah. t- in like 10 minutes. Yeah, and we got a bunch out. of picks that I remember when I got them, I was like, oh, I got I to use these. These, these are, are amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. Because as a magician, it's hard to get picks that sum up, like the show in a photograph, like, yeah. oh yeah, this guy's a magician, but also not... Like that kind of magician, exactly. You know, that's why like having cards says oh, this guy's a magician, but it also says like you yeah, know, he's a, a magician. Well, I want to come back to the magician entertainer thing because you are different. But I want to just let's just put a pin in that for okay. a second. So then, three years later, after that, I think we you came back to Laugh Fest for an anniversary five year anniversary show. Yep. And on that bill was like Kathleen Madigan, Jim Brewer, uh, Jim um, Costa. Michael Costa, Michael Costa, Sinbad, Sinbad, Jim, yeah, yeah, Jim exactly. Brewer, 
And that was fun. That was for like a gala dinner type uh-huh. of thing. But what are, what were your impressions of Laugh Fest? Because they really, honestly, that's been one of the best professional relationships I ever had to get. I mean, I just get to meet people like you and do portraits. Sometimes it's really fast. But sometimes we get amazing stuff and then we stay in contact with people. Yeah. It's been fun. Well, I've, I remember feeling like with Laugh Fest that they were... Because I've done a lot of comedy festivals that are not well run, and that is yeah. like tight, amazing names. All the comics you hear them talk about how much they love doing it. Yeah, the crowds are incredible. Um, it was like a well oiled machine. Yeah, and I'm sure for you, like the 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 lineup's so great, you get access to work with all these well, I'm in incredible Grand Rapids, people. So, yeah, I don't you know to shoot. I've shot Sinbad now like four or five times, and other people. Oh, my main key you light, dude. Oh, your main key light. This is, there's my wife, Jill, by the way, over hey, there. That's Jill. Hi, Jill. This is Brian. How are you? I should have come in and said hi earlier, but you were busy. All right. We'll catch up in a minute. Um, How soon do you have to leave? Thir- oh, 15? 20. 20? Okay. Yeah. Well, what did you do? You do? Want, you want well, what, do you want to... I want to provide clear edit points from my random tangents here. <laughs> but uh, I don't know if, if you will still be here when she gets back to say hello. But I wanted sure. to, to properly introduce you guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. We might but be. But that's her. Just she exists. How long. I mean, we She's can hold until she gets back. No, I know. I mean, we could. It depends okay. on what her... I, don't, I know you have to go do things. Yeah. Let's, we'll just we see can, how the timing goes. Yeah. Because I would love to do that quick family portrait. It's just the way that we started. Do you want to text me when you're heading back? Yeah. Okay. But I'd love to do the quick portrait. I'd love to just connect on a couple things that you probably already know about with Maddie and my, my Maddie and yeah. stuff like that. So just to, just out of curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. Text me when you're heading back. Okay. Yeah, we'll just take a really long time. We'll just he's, keep talking and talking. He's got his... It's really, it's going to be intense. It's going to be like therapy. Yeah. I need it. Are you in therapy? Uh, not it seems like regularly as it should be. Yeah. Yeah. I tend to like only go to a therapist when it's, was that a, that's, when there's I just thought an that, open that that wound. was a horrible, horrible like question. <laughs> are, just you to talk. are you in therapy? Are you in freaking therapy? No. Anyway. Yeah. The so laugh us, but talk. Uh, so many of the laugh us photos, by the way, that you've taken are of of other comics are so good. Like I, I oh, get to you. see them. I don't know. You. There's something about probably when you get these people who maybe didn't know they were gonna get such a impressive caliber photographer to do a portrait. So they're kind of like. Not in their head about it, you know, it's just kind yeah. of like happens where you get them with their guard down. Many times, yeah, I appreciate you saying that, but th- that, that does work to my advantage sometimes because they have no expectations, but also sometimes it's to my disadvantage because they don't think about what they're wearing. And maybe, they're, uh, yeah, they, sure. maybe they didn't even get advanced the info, you know, they're sure. on the road of and course. they're like, wait, okay, now I got to do this photo. It's a festival photo. So they show up and then they come to the set. Where the whether it's backstage or wherever we're shooting, and they're like, "Oh shit, this yeah, is like wow. a real deal," yeah. and then the, then they become self conscious about what they're wearing and did, what's their makeup like or whatever. Yeah. And uh, but like that Rory Scovel shot in his hotel room, so good with the golf club. <laughs> I tried to then, connect with Rory on this on this trip, but 
I uh, didn't quite connect, but we, he's down to shoot whenever. I love Rory. He's a good dude. But yeah, that was fun. And that was the sort of thing was what happened like with Rory. The first time I shot him was at Laugh Fest. And again, didn't expect anything. I send, we send Laugh Fest and I send him the photos. He loves them. And then the next time he's back in town, he's given, he's like, come up to my suite. You know, I've got my golf clubs. Let's just like improv some stuff. Uh-huh. And then we got an amazing stuff. Yeah. And then uh, Golf Digest just used those. Or oh, really? They just, they just sent him the files. So he's a huge golfer, but such a huge golfer. He brought his golf clubs to Michigan in March. Did like he play? I, think, I don't think it's possible. Okay. But, but just in case. You never know. Maybe he was coming from Florida. Maybe it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But uh, laugh Laugh. So Gilda Radner, do you, um, I mean, that's kind of the the feather in the cap of the festival. It raises funds for Gilda's Club and also just her legacy at SNL. That's why we have so many SNL alum. It's kind of like this bully pulpit that happens and they want to perform because it's Gilda's Laugh Fest. Yeah, it's good. I mean... And I'm a Gilda fan, just probably from like all like the best of SNLs. Yeah. You know, that wasn't my the era of cast that I grew up with. Right, I'm not that old. I am, so <laughs> I remember. Uh, but the I, Ackroyds yeah, and, but I love that time, and I think, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it rounds it out. I haven't taken that into consideration and in thinking about how great the Laugh Fest is. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'm sure you'll be back at some point. Yeah. The so this is the ten year coming up. But it has been a rare opportunity. I'm just this dude in Grand Rapids, and I was able to put my book full of all these great comics and different entertainers, and it really helps me get work outside of Michigan mm-hmm. because it's a chicken or egg thing. It's like probably, it relates somewhat to what you do. I think um, you don't get booked for certain gigs until you've done certain kinds yeah. of gigs. And yeah. So you don't get high-profile people until you have some in right. your book. You can't get on TV until you've been on TV. Exactly. Yeah, which makes yeah. so much sense. Which means that you have to at some point lie. (laughs) You've been on TV at some point. I've done that. Fake it till you make it. All right, so let's just meander. But I'm really interested because of the TV thing you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. What was your first really big appearance? Well, my first appearance, that every appearance is really big at the time. And then looking back, you're like, oh, God, that was not, that was, that (laughs) felt big. But like my first appearance was on a show called 30 Seconds to Fame. Okay. Which is, I think, like in 2001, and it was a Fox show. This was like pre-America's Got Talent, but that's yeah. what it was. It was like the gong show kind of sure. thing. And you had 30 seconds to do something without wow. getting uh, buzzed off. No like big booed off. No big setup. No big setup. You come with the heat. So I literally, and I, was, I went by my stage name of Just Incredible back then. <laughs> I know, I remember So the host was like, here he is, Magic Man, Just Incredible. <laughs> and I think I did three tricks in 30 seconds. Coughed up some cards, yeah. made a handkerchief turn into a cane, and made yeah. a bird appear, and then 30 seconds was up. Um, so when that aired, that was cool. That, that, was that good, gave me that first credit yeah. to put on things. And then I did, um, I booked a singular wireless commercial. Nice. Yeah. That's some was, chatter I coming was, in. It was good. Yeah, that was good. But did, it, did they just book you as talent, or was it you as a person, as a magician? Or was it just Well, like I think for the commercial, like, they wanted a magician, and it was like about uh, rollover minutes. They make your unused minutes reappear oh. the next month. So I was like coughing up cards. Remember those days? Ones. Nights and weekends? Yeah, exactly. That was I, a whole other time. I literally did my 30 Seconds to Fame set like while talking. And that was the, what the commercial was. So it was just me, and it, mm-hmm. and it played a lot. So that was good. <laughs> um, 
And then I did a hidden camera magic show for NBC with a bunch of buddies of mine. Now, were you still, when you were building these, were you doing small venues and things at that time, more like a comic slash magician? I mean, you've always had comedy and... Yeah, I was doing colleges. That was my bread and butter. Okay. From like when I moved to LA in 2002, I would do these college conferences, NACA conferences, where you'd go and you'd schmooze with all the students who would book the stuff. And then you would spend, hopefully, all fall doing... You know, 80 you, to 100 shows. It just brought back... Uh, was that on Crashing where they did the... the yes. Net, but then... Wasn't there an episode... Maybe I'm confusing it. But didn't Pete and his character come to the Magic Castle and you were there? Or was that... Oh, that was the show uh, Love. Love, that's what it was. Yes. Sorry, I was binging a whole bunch of different Jillian things. Gillian Jacobs. Yeah. Gillian Jacobs. That was a great show. That was a, that was a great show. I really liked it. That's a great show. That was really cool to oh, do. That's that right. Cameo. They came. They were on this awkward sort of awkward date, date and then they you were there. And, exactly. And then and that was the it. night they, I think, had sex for the first time. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> you know, magic. That exactly probably happens easy. a lot at your shows. You know, maybe. Yeah. It's about restraining. It never power. happens to me. No, I understand. I don't know, yeah. but it's a good thing Fergie doesn't come to your shows because. Could have turned out different. Break up a relationship. That's true. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's such restraint. Uh, so I'm interested in this moment where were were there ever a TV appearance that you felt my life might be quite different, or it could be such a career booster um, that you stood behind the curtain waiting to come out, and you just had that moment like, oh, mm-hmm. this is this is crazy well i grew up uh religiously watching the tonight show mm-hmm. from johnny carson days in fact like when i you know would love johnny carson then my parents told me you know he, he started as a magician and that's why i was like oh wow okay you know just connecting those dots thinking yeah. like oh magic can lead to anything you know right and then um and then jay leno throughout high school and college i just uh, every night would watch the tonight show study it yeah dreamt of hosting the tonight show one day being a guest on The Tonight Show. I remember uh, I read Jay Leno's biography when I was in high school. He went to Emerson College. Yeah. So when I was looking for colleges, I looked at Emerson College. And, and that was where the reason. I went. So, that's what like, at least put it on my radar. But there were so many comics that went to Emerson. Yeah. It's really crazy. Why is that? I feel like it's like, at least when I went there, it's where you went if you couldn't get into NYU. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and I was waitlisted at NYU, so I went to Emerson. Mm-hmm. And now I think it's almost the other way around. Like, Emerson is... Like the, the the first choice for a lot of people, it's really hard. To, yeah, it's much harder to get in there now. I was looking up names, you know, or looking up Emerson, and it's like it's a who's who of comedy. Like Bill Burr went there, and um, I, I don't know. There's a whole bunch. Like, yeah, I mean, I think it's there. probably because it's it because it's a little bit of a you know a fringe artsy fartsy school. Like yeah. it kind of welcomes people who maybe aren't going to do like the Harvard yeah. level of they're not getting their grades. CPA, they don't have the 4.0 no. in high school, yeah. you know, to get into NYU and Harvard, you know, but they have talent. Right. So, and, and then there's a lot of great improv comedy groups and, and sketch groups and you can make stuff, you can shoot video and everything like that. So it was, yeah. it was like a good spot. Yeah. So, um, so, sorry, I sidetracked you there with Emerson, but uh, so we're leading up to this moment where it's a, oh, yeah. a big, big thing. So I, um, so obsessed with, just Jay Leno, always a big, big influence, and knowing one day I want to be on the Tonight Show, and but also knowing, like, man, he never has magicians on, you know. Right. I keep hearing he's, like, not a magic fan. He doesn't right. like being fooled. Yeah. 
thinks it's the magician's it's trying to make to him stupid come. or something. <laughs> and um, but one of my best friends became a um, uh, an assistant at the Tonight Show for one of the talent bookers, and you know he would bring him to my show. So it was like over two years of. This, you know, this guy kind of being on my radar, becoming friends, and mm-hmm. just knowing I was in the back of his mind. And then there was a day in December, I can't remember what year it was, maybe 2003 or four or something like that, where uh, they had a guest, I think Maria Sharpova, Sharpova oh, the yeah. tennis player, right? You did, you? Bailed. She didn't want to do a pre-interview, oh, so she bailed her. the day before. I thought that story was going a no. wholly different way. No, never matter. Glad okay. I didn't, because... Okay. So the main guest was Hugh Jackman, who oh, yeah. uh, was in the Prestige and was gonna be in a Houdini musical on Broadway? Yeah. So they were like, "How about this? We'll have Justin as the B guest, so he doesn't have to do magic for Jay. He can do something with Hugh." And and it was like I got the call the day before. What can you do? I was like, "I got it. I'll do this. You know, cup yeah, trick. Yeah. This do as I do. You know, yeah, Coca Cola yeah. solo cup thing." Yeah. And I've uh, definitely seen this. Had clip. the beats worked out. It was like already a tight thing. And. Uh, I remember, yeah, it, and it just all happened so fast. So I'm backstage, like, holy shit, like I'm, it's it's about to happen. And yeah. just the, the nerves and the butterflies, like you, you feel like you know how nervous you can get. So, but and you can't get. Luckily, like I got as nervous as I knew I could get. I knew I should have been more nervous, but it yeah. kind of I was able to, to fly through it. And I remember before I walked on, knowing like, man, this is something I've always wanted to do. This is like yeah. a dream thing, and and that was the the. The theater, the venue, that was the legacy of Carson. Exactly. It was the... Now, doing the Tonight Show didn't have, like, the 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 caveat that it used to have, like, with Carson, where exactly. if you killed, you know, the next day, everything Everybody's was different. Famous, yeah. But I knew, like, as a magician, it's really hard to capture the what, what you do live, like, the, you know, the vibe, how amazed people can be, capture your personality mm-hmm. live, you know? It's, yeah. hard to, it's hard to do that on TV. Uh, but I, that was the first time I had a set and therefore then had a clip where I was like, oh, yeah, this is, this is pretty close to what, what I'm all about. So right. I was able to, you know, it, it, it all hit hard. Yeah, it, it was had funny. It was amazing. And, yeah. yeah. And Hugh was incredible. It was like just a little perfect storm of yeah. the right place. I, right I'm sure he was probably generous in, in, you know, as an actor or like at least in that moment of approaching it as entertainment to help yes. you yes. in that, in that Didn't way. Didn't try to steal the thunder, you yeah. know, like any other, you know, Jay had a couple, Jay was able to sit back and just watch. Yeah. So it was just like the, the perfect storm. So from there, at least for me, it felt like a life-changing moment, but I think it also gave you, you know, that clip to then, you know, you kind of have yeah. to use every little opportunity as then, you know, you climb on the back of that to get to the next step and so on and so forth. Yeah. And then I did it three times in a year because that went well. I'm just pulling up my notes. I'm yeah, not, I'm not notes. just bored with your Do story. It. No, no. Um, but yeah. Um, but then you know you, you go through. I'm in, also interested because I think people see now if they they just assume if you're on Netflix and you've got now you're working on the third season of Magic for Humans. Mm-hmm. That there's just this one trajectory mm-hmm. of success, and you're just climbing step after step after step. But like, tell me a little bit, uh, little moments and valleys that you've gotten through just as an entertainer, because most of us creative people, I think, are also racked with a lot of doubt, and sometimes, yeah. and sometimes you can get in your own head, and and I think you, we battle sort of, ne- and, and you're also in a hurry. You want things to be go quickly yeah. and be successful, so. Have there been times where you were like, I, I'm not sure where this is going. Did I run out of gas? Well, there was a time, like, I, uh, I think in, like, 2000, uh, 
three or four, kind of before any of those things hit and kind of the college touring slowed down here. And I was doing kids' birthday parties were like my bread and butter for a while. Mm. But I just like was, I kind of like hit a lull where I really did think like, oh, should I move back to St. Louis? Should I do this? Like I had to borrow money from my parents, you know, more frequently than I ever had. So they kind of were... Yeah, not you know, not giving me that. Oh no, try you know, no fallback, push through. They're they like, were he's kind of like, oh, maybe he's he needs to fall again. back. Yeah, um, where I thought about it, you know, and um, what would you have done if it? What, did you have a plan B? I didn't. I did not have a well at Emerson. I majored in broadcast journalism, so where they kind of in that era train you like to how to make a reel to pitch to a market to be a local TV person sure. and, and to kind of work your way up, you know, yeah. or maybe be the funny weather guy or something. Like, yeah. um, but that's also a really, really hard competitive field. Well, yeah, I mean, everybody wants, I still think it is that way today. In our local market, I've known quite a few of the, you know, just local anchors and local story people. And, mm-hmm. And it is. It's a brutal business, especially now because they gutted it. You know, I mean, it's not even what it used to be in a Grand Rapids, West Michigan market. Like they're asking them, they're operating camera. They're going and they're going back and yeah. editing. They're yeah. on a tripod. They're doing these remotes from the side of a like selfie remotes. Yeah, it's all yeah, very it's, it, and it's not what it used to be. No, and then they have to go back and hack that stuff together and put it on air. Yeah, it's rough. It's rough. So it's a good thing that didn't go that way with the Plan B. I think so. But I like that you had this sort of singular, like you had some downs, but it sounds like you were like, you were not going to get bumped off of that really easily. No, I, well, no, because I, I knew, I love doing, you know, magic and comedy. And I know, I, I, I knew that, you know, when I'm in the, when I have the right setting, like what I do is something that feels different, you yeah. know? Um so you just have to kind of not forget that. And then I know, you know, when I started, like, trying to come up with, like, let me try to pitch my own show, you know, yeah. which, like, over the course of 10 years, you know, there was just a lot of pitching yeah. and thinking, oh, this one might happen and getting rejected probably 50 times, like, different pitches at every different network, you know. just Was the rise of some of the other, like, David Blaine's and things, was that helpful for Magic or was, like, no, that lane's already taken up and we don't need another thing? How, how did that approach? I mean, it goes both ways. Yeah, because Magic is such, like, you know, thought of as this little niche thing versus comedy, it's like, no, there's room for a lot of great comedy flavors. You sure. know, with Magic, they kind of think of Magic as the flavor. Yeah. So there's kind of like, okay, no, there's one guy, you know, right. or there's two, so it's Chris Angel or Copperfield or No, Blaine. and I think, like, Magic for Humans feels that way. I've just tried to describe it to people. It's like, well, you remember David Blaine, right? He did street magic for people, but yours is so different. Like, it seems unfair to even... There's social commentary in your, in your stuff within the the tricks that you're doing mm-hmm. and and it's with real people on the street but it really has this narrative that I think is that's what pushes it over way over the finish line for me is because uh, we'll just explain that background about how you've layered uh, in the in the writing and sort of pre-production, some something that's more than just like trying to freak people out on the street corner. Yeah, I mean, because magic is is powerful enough just to stand on its own. Like, hey, hey come see a trick, you know. Yeah. But I feel like that's what everyone else is doing so I find that magic is a great can be a great metaphor it can be a great way like a visual aid to illustrate a bigger point or it's like a great icebreaker a little key into a unusual little subculture 
mm-hmm. where you know you might be an outsider, except for the fact that magic is this kind of universal language. It's like the great unifier. You know, everyone yeah. kind of loves magic. Everyone sure. kind of is amazed by magic. We're all using the same logic to take it in. Yeah. So it kind of is a way to show this little common thread between different, you know, layers of humanity. So I started to, and this might have been like four or five years ago, like started to stay stray away from just doing magic for magic's sake and always wanted the magic to be about something. Yeah. So like I pitched Comedy Central a pilot called Sleight of Mouth, which is based on this like a little late night magic yeah, talk show that, that I did in the back mm-hmm. of a comic book shop for a year and then um and they didn't pick it up, but they aired it as a special, which yep. was nice. And our, that pilot episode was kind of like about technology, so it was kind of themed. And it was a discovery for me to, as opposed to just like, oh, what's, a, what's all the best magic I can do in a half hour? It's by giving myself a parameter, you know, like, no, it has to be about this, about technology. Mm-hmm. It actually was much easier to write the magic, you yeah. know? And I'm sure in comedy that's the same, same way. If someone sure. says, what's going on in my life? What do I want to say? Yeah. Um, and then, and then I pitched him another pilot about, it was called Unjustin for All, and it was like solving America's political problems with yeah. magic, yeah. which uh, also was fun and interesting to write, and it felt like it hadn't been done like that before. Like yeah, for sure. Walking through Trump's wall. And, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, talking about the drought and this. But it, then it, it also, you know, I'm not, you know, I care a lot about politics and the state yeah. of our world, but I'm not like the best mouthpiece for that you know there's so many other people who you get in that realm you're competing with Colbert and John Oliver and Samantha yeah. B well, and John Stewart they're, they have a whole team to slay that every day yeah and, and that best. would be hard to to do intermittently you're also really time stamping that material exactly and I think a lot of what you've done at least recently with that stuff it's it's more timeless you know it has a lot longer shelf life as entertainment well for me like the big discovery was like I would alienate half of my fan base or half of the viewers almost regardless of how divisive I thought it was if I'm doing something about global warming you are now tapping into a predisposed opinion because I have that I have that problem too I mean obviously I want to work with everybody I don't want to work with people that you know have radically damaging views to people that I think, you know, or to groups or anything like that. But I kind of have to keep myself a little bit in check. Yeah. Uh, I think most people know kind of intuitively where I am on the, on the spectrum. Uh, I meant the political spectrum, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, but you know, you have to walk that line. It's a business you don't want to offend people and you don't yeah. want to wear it so outwardly that people are like, well, screw this guy. I'm not going to that show. Well, I found that, like, especially in the, when we started Magic for Humans, like, we live in a world where there's so much of that commentary that people need a, an escape. And yeah. magic is, is, like, the perfect escapism. You know, yeah. you're escaping from right. the rules of the universe, like, yeah. the laws of physics. You're kind of yeah. escaping from all that. So to even, like, to strip away any of the political divisiveness it means that it's just like a feel-good thing like wholesome without even intending to be wholesome like the show's a family-friendly show-ish but there's still like a lot of edgy stuff in there but just because there's no cussing and because there's no talk of the 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 stressful things in the world like it really feels like a show that they can watch someone could watch with their grandparent or their kids or anything and that felt really, really good when I would then go tour and people would tell me, like, oh, what the show meant to me. Like, I, oh, I was able mm-hmm. to, you know, I got through a hard time by watching yeah. the show or, you know, I had some really amazing laughs with 
you know, my right. family members who I never get to watch a thing with. Yeah. Uh, that felt really, really special. And then I was like, oh, that's, that's what we need now. Yeah. You know, so now I try to stray away from the things that are dated or are um, just inherently yeah, because I think, icky. I think, yeah, icky. And not that the subject that you're trying to, you know, the social commentary you're trying to make is wrong. And also, I think we have every landscaper is probably within five five. Yeah, there's feet a lot of landscape yard. going on. We picked a good, a good day. T- <laughs> Tuesday in the neighborhood. I think it's good. I've got. I'm not picking. I'm the trying not to pick. The crop up. dusting. Yes. <laughs> it's just like a war zone of agriculture uh-huh. around here. I didn't know Studio City was this uh, such a lush, such lush, lush needing to be macheted. <laughs> We're gonna plow forward because I think. It's real. I think it's, uh, we're on the mics, so um, I don't have much gain in it. So um, so we were talking about just that uh, shifting from politics. Well, again, and to just to underscore your point, it's just that your shows are an escape from some of those things that might have pissed you off all day. Yes. Uh, especially in political stuff. And at the end of the day, you're one person. You have a... A, a big influence within your fan base, but most people are entrenched in their own ideas anyway. Yes, and maybe for I'm speaking alongside with you. I'm maybe speaking with it. I'm not the right forum to like change people's minds. And if I'm just venting, it's yes. probably just gonna like end up not helping. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Because yeah, I'm not going to. I'll give the people who agree with me will be like, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, they'll, yeah. it's nice getting the enthusiasm of people who agree with you when you're trying to make a statement, you know, and some of the clips that I put up from like the, the political pilot that I did, yeah. you know, did get a lot of, uh, you know, co-signing the message from sure. the bubble, you yeah, know, yeah. but I don't think it, echo it was, chamber. exactly. I don't think it was changing minds, yeah. you know, and it wasn't providing an escape, you know, it was riling people up in the comment section and I don't want fans yeah, I, that's so exhausting anyway to moderate. And then sometimes you can put out something really intentionally trying to just underscore something that is so should be obvious to human beings on the planet, like how we're supposed to treat each other. And mm-hmm. then someone will come in from left field and you're like, I don't even know what a human is anymore. Yeah. Like, I don't get that. So, well, anyway, um, Yeah, really. But I've admired sort of your approach in when you did dabble in those things because you did still use forms of your entertainment and Mm -hmm. and magic to illustrate those social points. But magic, what for season three? How has um, you know? Have you adapted season to season? Kind of uh, what is sort of the? Is it? Do you think about themes for the season, or are you just thinking about? Well, season two that comes out in December, you know, a lot has happened from when season one and two happened. And I, and I also found that, like, the feedback from season one is the, the, the bits that we would do that would resonate and would get people that would, like, connect with people were the bits that feel like they are genuinely driven by a curiosity or something sure. autobiographical. So I leaned into that more in the new season. I had a son since then, yeah. so he's 10 months old, so he's kind of a, a big part of the POV with how I, yeah. you know, look into these themes. We've got a Christmas special, which is fun. So that's just kind of a fun, you know, everyone loves Christmas. If you don't, sure. then we make fun of the things that hopefully, you know, bother you about Christmas. Right. And then, you know, like when we're writing the show, um, 
we'll write, we'll come up with themes that are interesting, and then separate from those, we'll say, okay, let's write a bunch of bits, and then we'll kind of connect those dots. Right. And sometimes things just don't connect to a theme, and they fall to the wayside. But I'm curious on the production side, like how how many people are helping you with that show? You're executive producing, mm-hmm. and then you have some help with writing. Yes. Yeah, so, so, so how tight is your your unit? So so I'm executive producing, and then I've got three guys who are my co-EPs who are kind of like my core brain trust. Yeah. Uh, Stuart McLeod, who's a brilliant magician and also a very, very funny comedy writer. And then two comedy writers, David Denine Porter and Daniel Kino. Daniel Kino's a stand-up who I've known for 20 years. Oh, and yeah. he's, you know, really good at uh, helping me hone kind of my voice and economy of words and yeah. staying true to kind of what premise we were setting out to, to tackle to begin with. And then for the writing process... Sorry to cut you off, but I just want to hit this, is that it must be really nice to have someone that can trust with that perspective because I think even I'm relating your performance and how you write and perform, kind of like editing photos or how you need... You can get lost in it and you sort of lose an outside perspective to just have somebody come in and like just hack away at what you did, but it's somebody that you trust and is cultivating. Is that who that guy is? That's who that guy is. Yeah. And that's in the pre-process, the while we're doing it, and then the yeah. editing process is a whole different thing. Like I, now that I'm editing the the third season, like I try to disconnect that that guy that's on the screen that we're hacking away at is even me. Yeah, and I, so that I can be very harsh and objective, you sure. know. And I don't like that guy a lot of times. You yeah, know? like I just, you know, the. I hate editing. Justin hates the choices that shooting Justin made or that writing Justin made. Because you end up, you always kind of mess yourself somewhere. It's like, oh, if my body had been just five degrees more open to camera, exactly, it would have slayed. Exactly. There's a lot of things that are almost great that can't make. Is it it hard to direct? Like, I mean, I know you're not. uh, That must be. I'm thinking now as I'm putting my videographer slash director's cap on. When, when I'm thinking about your episodes of um, Magic for Humans, it's got to be hard to direct and block those shots in, a, in mm-hmm. a way to make sure the audience has the full aha moment along it's with you. It's really hard. Like, um, and you're on the road. Like you're running and gunning. You're running and gunning. Yeah. It's a pretty... Well, you got... I mean, like learning how to direct and shoot magic is an interesting skill that... You know, very few people can, you know, even a great director, there's there's certain rules you have to ditch, like things that you normally do as a director. This is this would look right. This this is intuitive. But with magic, you kind of can't cut. Yeah. You know, you have to let the whole tricks play out. Yeah. So therefore, I need to make sure that I don't leave a bunch of air in the scene because I'll just hate myself in the edit. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Because if you tighten up, then people accuse you of like, you know, making I mean. Not that people don't know. I mean, most people should know that it, it's not a, a documentary of, like, you actually did. Something. Like, they, they don't think you did the trick. Like, there were some other uh, editing tricks outside of the magic. Yeah. And, and so that's, that's, the, that's, that's pe- the hard part. Because people are so savvy and, you know, we don't, you know, we don't use, like, CGI or, like, you know, cheap hiding stuff under a cut. Cut, yeah. you know. We work hard to make the magic really good. Yeah, uh, we have to make sure that we get credit for that. You know, because yeah. people cuts take you out of it. You know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Adam Franklin, who directed season one and two, you know, he I he, shot a bunch of stuff with him over the past many many years. So sure. he, trusting him is really really important. And yeah. For him to know kind of how to 
command the shots and set them well, up. Well, he was up to speed a lot faster than someone if you had started fresh and go, okay, well, here we are. We're going to start shooting season three. And exactly. And word with them tomorrow. Exactly. It would have been a real Well, that's what we had to do because we did two seasons at the same time. We had to uh, find a new director for season three because Adam was cutting season two. Got it. Um, and this guy, Dave Page, who who we got is fantastic. You know, yeah. So he kind of dove in. He had to re- lean curve. on us and kind of adapt to that learning curve and trust trust yeah. us to guide him through. He came from Nathan For You. He would produce Nathan For You, which is kind of a similar, it's kind of a, ma- Nathan For You, I think of as kind of a, a magic show because they kind of are creating this comedic illusion. Mm-hmm. Um, and and a lot of it comes from just, you can have the best trick, but if the person you're doing it to doesn't feel real or doesn't react, like right. the best part of the show, when we screen them, we did a screening last night on some rough cuts, like what people love, because they love to see a good trick, but they need to see the person in scene Think, react as if they saw the same thing that you did as a viewer. Right. And when they then are like amazed and freaking out, and you're seeing yeah. their guard come down and having a real human reaction, it connects those dots. It makes you appreciate the yeah. trick, appreciate the fact that you're. Well, that's what connects. It. That's what I. Uh, why I think that show is so so effective is in that uh, in that moment. You the the audience that's looking on their phone or a tablet or a. 80 inch screen TV it doesn't matter they're they're as part of the gig they're imagining what they would have done what yep. their reaction would have been and it just gives you that first person perspective that you don't but yeah <laughs> how does it feel to have like slay on a trick and this person that's cast to or, or you know that you encountered that and just lays an egg and doesn't doesn't yeah, add sucks. anything to it. it. Sucks. Because then you're like, gotta go find somebody else. Because it's to do fishing. It. You're really fishing. You're like yeah. laying this juicy bait, and yeah. sometimes you catch a big one. Sometimes they just they just yeah. get away. So that's why we have to. And I'll, and our shooting schedule is so tight. You know, we yeah. I'd love to shoot one trick all day long. Yeah. But it's like okay, we have time to try this for two people. Right. Hopefully one of them's great. Right. You know. Um, and in the in the edit, like a lot just doesn't make it. It's yeah. Hard. That's yeah, it's so volume. So what does it take? Uh, again, I don't want to get too we- much in the weeds of the production. So when you've written an episode, do you approach it as, uh, do you write out the whole season and then you schedule production days around getting everything you've done for the season? Or do you kind of approach it episode by episode? We will, so like when we did season two, we wrote out seven episode themes, you know, Christmas, fake, I really like the idea of, doing an episode about fake just because people are so skeptical about magic yeah. you, know, you do the best trick and the YouTube comment someone will comment fake Yeah, they're in on it CGI so we kind of did an episode that explored that Yeah, an episode about fatherhood an episode about uh, communication you know how we kind of these days we don't talk to one another sure. unless you're doing a podcast right <laughs> uh, an episode about um, damn it all it all blurs together. Yeah. Time, you know, and, and I got really autobiographical this season. Like I did a thing, and uh, my mom has Alzheimer's. No, no. And you know, I thought, what what says magic and comedy like doing something about Alzheimer's? Right. How do I tackle that? That right. was a good exactly. challenge, and that and that turned out to be my favorite part of the series. That closes it out. Mm-hmm. So it's like I wanted to do a show that is not like self indulgent. Like, boy, it's just all about him, but like uses my POV into hopefully exploring things that people care about so we laid out yeah. seven episodes in each episode maybe like seven or eight segments mm-hmm. and kind of scripts for those but you know you don't know how it's going to go in the day but kind of like here's the the point we're trying to make or at least the idea we're trying to explore yeah and then those end up once they 
try to produce the locations and how we're going to pull that off or is the magic going to come through those end up yeah a couple fall through the cracks you have six segments per episode that you set out to shoot and we kind of don't shoot it one episode at a time it's kind of all a big hodgepodge did you have uh you mentioned fatherhood and jackson who i've seen here as this morning setting uh-huh. up that that kid is a he's a rock star he's a beautiful boy <laughs> he's a cute dude he is yeah. very cute and uh so in what ways, without being the, the cheesy setup questions, how's fatherhood changed you? But mm-hmm. how has it more specifically worked its way into your work? Well, I feel like, like I'm a workaholic. I always have been. So even before I had a kid, like it was a balancing act in marriage to, you know, maintain. Because I don't have like a job where I clock in and clock out. Like right. I'm thinking about it all day every day because my job is also my favorite thing to do. Yeah. Which means, like, fun, you know, I think I'm just having fun, but it's also work, you know. So you got to kind of not talk I don't think most, I mean, if you find that sweet spot of loving what you're doing, and it is your life, and it's also your passion, uh, it is hard to shut it down, because you can just keep working, and it's fun. And I I do try to balance that. Some of it's work work, and you just can't just stay ahead. It's just grunt work to stay ahead of the workload that, that I have in terms of, like, shoot, edit, deliver, shoot, uh-huh. edit, deliver. But at least I'm able to do it, and I'm not punching a clock for anybody but myself. And have you ever had a, a regular job, John? I was a waiter for a summer. I think everyone should be got to be a waiter. At least once. I tap back into that all the time. Just, I do, too. Yeah. I mean, all my girls have worked, uh, my two older girls, Hannah and Maddie, they're 20 and 18, and, and they've I've made them work in food service and serving because mm-hmm. you don't want to be that idiot customer and you appreciate the you know the side work that you have to do before your shift or after your shift just to realize that in life like (laughs) what you make money like the show I make make money go doing a gig but like you're not getting you're getting paid for that hour but then like the hundred hours that you did to kind of prepare for that that you weren't getting paid for it kind of lets you or your balance out the glamour or your 50,000 hours you've been doing since you were 12 yeah exactly I mean that's that's where you're value is but having a son now or just having a child now I think I've learned to um, maximize the time where I'm like okay I'm here to work and I you know Mm-mm. light up and I try to bang that out and just focus yeah. on that so that I can then uh, feel like I've done gotten enough done in a day so I can turn yeah. it off and it does be kind of dad. force uh, a structure into your world because all of a sudden you you're up at times you weren't maybe up didn't have to be up before yeah or you know now you're living around the kids routines but you're still slotting and ducking and weaving where you can work best time to take meetings mm-hmm. you know etc it makes work more like after I got married I felt more um, the work was more enriching because I felt like okay I'm now you know all the work and the hard work is to build a life for me and my wife and then mm-hmm. now it's to you know build a, a life and a structure for him so it kind of makes the work feel less you know like because it's an ego business so sometimes it can feel like oh gosh like it's just you know, am I working to for a higher good or just for ego? So right. now it feels like a much greater higher yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, it would be kind of empty. I think not that people can do it wrong, but I guess it rounds you out a little bit more when, at the end of the day, you know, you're building something that isn't just uh, for yourself. There's there's 
there's structure and parameters around it mm-hmm. that uh, benefits lots of different people and even like your staff and people that are partners on your yeah. business no, partners true. and things. It's, it's true. It's, cool. it's a cool opportunity for a lot of yeah. writers. And well, you mentioned people. Jill and getting married. Um, you guys do a lot around uh, diabetes and specifically type 1 diabetes. Yes. And my Maddie, I, we connect. Maybe that's how there was one. I don't even know when we talked about it. It might have been in the last... Actually, it was when I was in L.A. last yeah, year. Yeah, when we, we shot. shot last year downtown. Yes. And we didn't do that other than any other reason that it would be fun. I was in town, and I said, do you want to do some stuff? And we did it. But then, but you guys had been posting more. You had gotten married, and I noticed that Jill has an insulin pump. Mm-hmm. And some things just BTS, you know, of your life that, I seen on, uh, that I've seen on Instagram and... I was like, wow, she's got type one. And then we started talking in the car and you knew all about pumps and like mm-hmm. CGMs and all this other stuff. And, but what is it like? I'm just curious how much, because uh, Maddie's 18 now. And I'm just thinking like, Jill had a baby, mm-hmm. you know? So how much was the, the type one diabetes um, a concern throughout the pregnancy? Did it, did, huge. Yeah. It was a huge part. Um, I mean, even before the pregnancy, obviously, knowing very little about what even type 1 is. Yeah. You know, like, there's, you get this crash course and you realize, oh, man, like, it's crazy how, first off, type 1 and type 2, so yeah. different, shouldn't yeah. even be called the same no. thing, you know? The type that's, one a real, being that's a real shame. Just, it's because, a real shame. And because I find myself talking about it and explaining what Maddie has as a type 1 diabetic. And you say diabetic, and ninety-eight percent of the world just thinks of one type of di- you know right. type, type two, and which is not oh at all the yeah, same did, disease. Did, they, did she eat a lot of sugar? Yeah. Did she, she inactive? Used to, yeah, did she, she used to be heavier or something? Yeah. It's like all these misconceptions. Yeah. Um, well, I'll tee it up for the audience. Yeah. So it's just type one is when the body somehow has an immune autoimmune reaction. It kills off the the. Um, insulin making capability of the pancreas and now you're insulin dependent and you have no way without insulin artificially coming into your body you have no way to carry and break down carbohydrates and feed your cells uh carbohydrates yes and so that's the bridge of it so the result of it is many kids are doing 8 10 12 shots 20 shots a day some of them are insulin pumps now which is a great technology but also the real the real shitty thing about that disease is you never get a break from it as yeah. a as the person but also as a parent uh, you have to whoever they have to know a lot about carbohydrates they have to be able to calculate you're doing math all the time they're doing math yeah. 100% all uh-huh. the time okay i just ate a muffin right all right that's probably 53 carbs yeah then giving yourself the appropriate amount of insulin to Assimilate into your body 53 carbs of sugar and it's relentless and if you go up too high it's horrible for your health and if you go too low it's extremely dangerous yeah so in that context that's type 1 diabetes but for Jill and traveling that pregnancy path and you gotta just talk about getting up to speed when did you know I mean do you well, like, started on our first she, date she showed me her pump yeah and I was like uh, cool like cause it's uh, it's like this. Had you heard of it? Did you yeah, my it? very first show I did when I was 13 as a kid in St. Louis, Missouri, was for uh, the juvenile diabetes oh, Halloween really? party. 
get yeah, out of here. Yeah, very first gig I ever did. Oh, so man. that was like at least very young getting the elevator pitch of what type 1 diabetes yeah, is. So you had I at least had a that. snapshot. A little bit, yeah. And, and then I didn't know any... Actually, my godmother had type 1 diabetes, um, and she passed away uh, from breast cancer, but, uh, but I... I do remember kind of her with the the pen and these injections and everything like that. So I at least knew what it was all about. So for her, it was amazing seeing how managed she had it, you know, like she was diagnosed at 18, which is uh, late, later than most. Um, And, uh, this is your aunt or Jill for Jill, for Jill. Jill, Yeah. Jill. So Jill at 18 and, and, and And my Maddie was diagnosed at four. Wow. So there's really, there's barely a period that she knows in her memory now that before that. Yeah. yeah. She does remember a little bit, but anyway, so, but seeing like, it's, you know, like it's just this, it's this ball and chain, you know, she's Mm -hmm. a, a cyborg. She's got this, you know, this, this thing that she has to think about all the time and it's so exhausting. And obviously as soon as you think you've got your equations down, your body kind of changes and now it's, uh, needs more insulin or maybe it needs less and you have to kind of adjust and everything you knew is, you might have insulin that fails. Yeah. When we we travel a lot, it seems like whenever we travel with insulin, we always bring extra because those bottles for whatever reason they'll fail and then all of a sudden you can't get your numbers down. Right. And then, or a port, you know, you kind of do a new injection port and it's just not soaking in there. So, you know, like, and as a, as, you know, a husband and a partner, you know, it affects, it has a huge mood effect, you know, sometimes if it's too low or, you know, I need, I, I, you know, it took me a while to really understand, like when she says that we, we need to eat or I need a snack, you better do it now because, or, or, you know, no one's going to be happy, you know, right. like, and trying to be supportive of, of all those things is a big, is a big learning curve, you know, and to understand yeah. that there are these, I have elements. a lot of empathy for that because you're, you can't fix it. You're living with it. You're trying to do everything you can for your partner. In my case, my daughter and you and your wife, but, uh, but it is a, it's a bit of a duck and weave sort of like, well, what's, what's happening today? And you, as a guy, you can just get blindsided anyway by marriage and your relationship. And you sometimes just figure out, um, you know, how am I relating? How are we relating today as a couple? But then if there's this other factor, yeah, it, it can be, uh, you can take a minute to it's figure out It's hard because going on. I can never know how it feels yeah. to go low or to just have to think about this. Cause I think healthy people so take for granted just eat what you want and your body kind of adjusts, you know? Right. They're just thinking about, oh, is it, am I gonna, is it, is it, am I gonna gain weight or lose weight? But there's sure. all these extra, just, just what she has to compute all the time, every day, yeah. is insane. And so there's, that's running. So I've, I've found, I've learned the best thing I can do is to have empathy and to be of service. And those are the ways that we can kind of connect and, yeah. and bond, uh, by doing literally the least that I can do, right. which is just, you know, Understand. drop everything and go grab some candy or go yeah. grab some Smarties or sure. get some juice. Um, having, getting pregnant, you know, like it automatically made her a high risk pregnancy. So yeah. we, the good news is that we were able to, you know, we had to go to the doctor once a week. So like we're kind of very, feel very, very well taken care of with sure. our checkups and everything. And uh, carrying a baby changes all the, the computations. I can't imagine. I'm sure it wreaks havoc on, yeah. on, uh, managing managed diabetes and trying to keep your 
your uh, glucose range in, within target. And, and she had to get her A1C down, which is like yeah. your, what is it, three-month average or one-month average. Yeah. To get that way down, even just to get the green light that, okay, you can get pregnant now. Really? So, yeah. and, uh, but she got through. I mean, the little dude's like a, a miracle baby. It was, yeah. There were other complications along the way, but it, sure. I think the fact that we were so like on a regular basis with these amazing doctors was nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. But that's led to you guys, uh, I don't know if it's anything consistent, but I know there's times you're doing shows for um, f- for juvenile diabetes and yep. to, for other, maybe other entities. But like, is there something consistently that you're working with or is it just like, hey, I'll do shows here? And well, yeah, do I'll do, I've, I've hosted a bunch of the galas for JDRF mm-hmm. in LA and, um, you know, want to do more. Like Jill and I both want to do more. You know, she started, we kind of got involved and she was doing some mentoring and outreach because I think yeah. the mentoring is really important because really when you're is. a young kid, you know, a, a young boy or, or a girl, like for Jill to be able to mentor a young girl who was recently diagnosed or yeah. just so they can see what their future looks like. And then it's not as scary as you yeah. think and that you can do everything you want. And just event in that way that you were saying earlier, I don't know what it feels like to have that. Uh-huh. So to actually talk to somebody who's having those they know they are walking in the same pair of shoes in a sense of with that disease that uh yeah mentoring would be massive for sure and there's all these you know type 1 diabetes pregnancy support groups on facebook that jill was really really involved with and i think all that really helps to feel like you're not alone that's great yeah um all right let's do there's all these mosquitoes that are new it's a new thing in los angeles we didn't used to have mosquitoes Seriously, and now yeah. they're everywhere. When we were up at Carter's, Carter and Amy's house in Malibu, the fires were, they were blowing out. And so we had a lot of ash, but also for some reason the bugs were all coming down from the mountain. Mm-hmm. And we had just bugs everywhere. Like it just swarming. Like bite, the, biting bugs? Uh, I don't know. What kind of bugs were they, Mark? Do you even know? I don't know. I don't know. Um, all right, man, we are cruising through this. Uh, I've got two things, two, two things I kind of wanted to cover. Um, so you're from the Midwest. You're from Missouri. Yeah. You know, flyover country. Yeah. Or Michigan. I get, I get my dander up about that. It's a good that. hub in St. Louis. Used to be, at least. Yeah. Yeah. So at this point, you've been out here. Do you feel more like a Missourian or a Californian, or is it? You know, this December I will have lived in L.A. for 18 years, and I lived in St. Louis for 18 years before mm-hmm. I went off to college. And that time feel, it flies. It's crazy because it really, you know, when you, you, because there's no seasons, it all blurs together. Yeah. So I have a hard time thinking of how many years ago things were. Um, and I just kind of think of like, okay, I was in that apartment, that apartment, that apartment. It doesn't compute as 18 years. Wow. Because uh, I just still feel like the new, like a new guy in town, but now I'm like an old guy in town. Yeah. Um, I still feel like a Missourian. Yeah. Like I sometimes, the longer I'm in LA, the more I feel like I need to cling and reconnect with being a real person from a real place yeah. as much as possible. Because that's what you want to tap into. Some of those idiosyncrasies into. about LA that sort of make you. I know one might be the industry itself. But, like, what what sort of feels disorienting? You mentioned the weather, and that's one thing I've never really considered. I loved coming out here, especially in the winter. But I hadn't really thought about how disorienting it might be if I were to live here for a long time and every day is 72 to 80 degrees and sunny. Mm-hmm. And it's Groundhog Day all over again in terms of water. Yeah. Like, I'm very, my mood is often very affected by the weather. Mm. Um, so... You, you you take it for granted a little bit, but it, yeah. it is kind of a little 
you know, uplifting, feels good. However, when I travel, you know, and I, I get to witness all the seasons, I do think there's something I'm missing about uh, the passage of time and taking, really appreciating a beautiful sunny day and maybe maximizing a really, really crappy weather day to yeah. just to kind of, I don't know, have these ebbs and flows. And, you know, you kind of need a cloudy day yeah. for introspection. Well, and, just to recalibrate your thinking about needing those in Grand Rapids... I think we have 9,200 days of sunshine a year. Yeah. And that includes winter. So mm. when you have 200 days, 240 days or whatever it is of uh, overcast mm-hmm. or rain, uh, yeah, you're like... But I do like it, though. I'm not complaining. I do like... Uh, I like the seasons, and I like um, I like winter to a point, although it's getting harder now. I don't know if it's age I don't know. I don't want to chalk it up to age. Maybe it's just like, you know, I get to travel quite a bit. Yeah. And maybe I don't have to do all the months of winter. Be nice to maybe yes. not have to do all of them. Be a snowbird. There's no extra award for toughing out four months of snow and cold. Five sometimes. There's not. But I, 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 don't, I don't need that award if there is one. I, I will say, like, in L.A., because it is so, you know, it's where the entertainment industry is, like, for me, I, I just love kind of being in a city with people who are all, you know, in that same business, but doing such different little facets. And it's, it, mm-hmm. I think it very much uh, prevents complacency, you know. Um, I kind of like being, you know, a little fish in a big pond, you know. Yeah. It kind of just keeps that fire in your belly. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people are maybe like, oh, I don't want to raise my kids here. But I think... You know, like we we moved to this neighborhood to have a really great school district, and mm-hmm. um, and all my I'm really lucky that all my friends who I went to college with and moved out here and kind of all kind of set up life out here. So it really does oh, great. it does feel like home. I think having those authentic connections that are from whatever 15, 18 years ago, like those are people that knew you before. They know you now. Like mm-hmm. they they can check you on almost anything because, you know, you're in a dorm together at college yeah. or whatever. And those kind of lifelong relationships to me is like when you have somebody that you know since sometimes maybe five or six years old, those are people that there's just that shorthand that is so special. And it's different than maybe somebody you met three years ago, but you're kind of tight with. Yeah. It's really important to get your balls busted. <laughs> like it really is. It's that's so therapeutic. So just going out and just, you know, being treated like the the 19-year-old idiot you were. You know, those are people who know you as that. It's really yeah. good. It is good. And it's fun. Yeah. I mean, because you're not, you're not helpless. You have ammo, too. Yes. You know? So that's cool. Yeah, it's nice. Um, last thing I really wanted to ask you about is um, I'm sort of um, really taken with Hollywood iconic history and um, Chateau Marmont and like th- those sort of things where lots of things have happened and uh-huh. they're just still there and they're kind of awesome but it's very yeah. kind of like this stuff but the the Magic Castle is it's kind of a mysterious place to me I've never been there I haven't seen a show there I know it's open you know there are shows you can buy tickets obviously and go uh-huh. there but tell me about the Magic Castle just uh, just quickly a snapshot of what what that is and what it is to be part of it and, and is there another level of participation as a magician that you have there that other people have yeah so have? the magic castle is like the 
cl- it's like the clubhouse for the organization known as the Academy of Magical Arts, and it's a uh, you know hundred year old mansion that's been turned into a kind of a members only nightclub. Mm-hmm. Um, in the fifties or the early sixties, it was turned into this been turned into the Magic Castle, and it's you know sits high on a hill uh, overlooking Hollywood. Like it's mm-hmm. it's it's the only thing in the world like it where it is a well regarded very you know, high-esteemed place associated with magic where m- you have to be a magician to be a member, and then if you're not a magician to go, you need to be a guest of a member. Mm-hmm. They've got a strict dress code, and, yeah. you know, once you're inside, it's kind of like um, it's kind of like a trip back to this, you know, Cary Grant-era Hollywood. Sure, yeah, you know, yeah. it's very authentic in the decor, and it, it's, uh, there's, you know, multiple showrooms and bars and a restaurant, and it, you know, like, I've, I've, always kind of fantasized about this place as a kid magician growing up in St. Louis. I yeah. read about it and all these I scour these old magic magazines you know from the 60s and the 70s and just read about this place and, yeah. um, uh, where all the best magicians would perform and then when I came out to LA with my parents when I was 13 uh, we went. You have to be 21 to get in. Uh-huh. I didn't know that. <laughs> so I, they, I sent them in to go see my mentor who was performing that week. I waited in the car. Really? In the parking lot. How defeating was Cried that? and fell asleep. Really? Was, yeah, defeating. What but, was going through your mind when you couldn't well, get I was in so ex- and they got to yeah. see the show? I was in the car in a suit. <laughs> 14 years old, just crying. <laughs> that yeah. had to shape you. And I'm just... Uh, I, the, the comedy of that, in some respect... Of fourteen-year-old Justin in a suit. Uh huh. The time of his life is happening just through those doors, and you yeah. have to sit in a car and wait for your He's parents. Not old enough. Yeah. But I insisted that they go in and okay. go, go, have a drink, go see a show, like right. roam around, come tell me all about it. Sure. And they did, which yeah. is great. And then I think we went that weekend then for brunch. You can get in for brunch. That's okay. when minors are allowed in. Got it. And. You know, like, I take for... It's, it's interesting because I've, you know, it's been a part of my life for so long. You know, when I first moved to L.A. now 18 years ago, I auditioned to become a member. And I think you go through these phases where you're kind of like, you know, okay, I'm a professional. You know, it's, it's like very, very incredible at first. And then you kind of resent it a little bit. Uh, whenever I get... Whenever I tell anybody I'm, I'm a magician in L.A., they ask me about this place. Like, I don't need the Magic Castle. Come on. You right. Know, like, you kind of, like, shove it away. And then... You know, in recent years, I've re-embraced it as this, you know, just this rare, beautiful mecca that it is. Because it's a, it, magicians don't have, like, a, a home other than this place. You yeah. know, other cities don't have this kind of thing. Right. Where magicians are, are the gods, you mm-hmm. know, in these walls. And, you know, they book all the, these great magicians from all over the world. And sometimes there's some duds mixed in there. And sometimes sure. there's some cheesy stuff, like the exact kind of thing that I don't, you know, like I, I sometimes get a little riled up because I know that when people go there, this might be the only magician they see in person sure. for a decade. Right. And I want everything they see to serve the art form. And sometimes there's things that, you know, yeah. are cringy or eye rolling. But, well, I mean, we went to the, I like to go to the comedy store when I'm here, uh, try to catch a show. But, you know, those, you know, you're seeing 12 to 15 acts. There's some uneven ones in there. Yeah, sure. And they're also. Experimenting and trying new material, there isn't you know they're developing stuff in ten to fifteen minutes. Exactly. So yeah, but I understand if it's like that's your opportunity to see magic, and that's what if if the takeaway is kind of wrong or meh, then that you sort of feel that, ugh. Yeah, but but over. I mean, but it is such a special gift. It's like such a special place 
Um, because magic is like this subculture. It's like this subset of entertainment that by design, you know, you, you kind of are kept from knowing too much about it. Yeah. And, but it's not big enough to be like, you know, like the comedy world where there's comedy clubs all over the place. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's not an art form that at least right now can, uh, Support that many, sure. you know, venues. Yeah. So it it is it is so special, and because of its history, so iconic. And it's and in your backyard, basically. Yeah, and it's right here. Yeah. It's right here. I should go more often. I only make it up there once a month. I know you probably get so. asked this all the time, but within that network of magicians, there, do you, do you guys talk shop a lot? Talk techniques and how you develop tricks, or is it kind of all keeping things close to no, the? No, magicians very much will share and mm-hmm. session and kind of. Any question is like sure. we have magic conventions. Like the Magic Castle is more of kind of like, you know, the night out. There's less. There's some kind of like comparing of notes, but we have magic conventions where it's just like pure hang, yeah, uh, talk and shop, catching up, mm-hmm. pure love, brotherhood, sisterhood kind of thing. You can go to a magic. There's a magic convention in Vegas every year called Magic Live, which is kind of a big one and. You'll, as a kid who maybe started magic last week, you can get in and you can meet David Blaine, who's wandering around. David mm-hmm. Copperfield pop in, sure. you know, like the best magicians. Oh, there's Penn, you know, yeah. like I don't know any other subculture where you can meet or industry where you can walk into a convention having done it a week and happen to shake hands and meet the the titans, the icons. Yeah. yeah. So it's that's really really special. And I've got my core group who I kind of like bounce ideas off of and jam with and. Yeah. have a shorthand lingo with. And, uh, I mean, it's, I find it to be much more of a sharing community mm-hmm. than, you know, comedy often has the same thing, but gets like this flip side where, you know, trash talking and negativity and jealousy. Yeah. And, and I don't know if it's the same. I mean, obviously, uh, there's always, there's always clap back on anyone who's might use lines or material that they've heard other comics perform. That's a no fly zone, but like, in terms of magic, I, um, and again, this might be a, a layer in the weeds because I don't really know much about m- that magic culture in terms of, you know, can you pay an homage and do a trick that someone else developed and you learned? And then you have a, you know, how do you feel if you, you've you come up with something entirely unique and Wilman-esque mm-hmm. and then someone might perform it? Is that a, an issue within the industry? It's an issue because... Um you know, like, with comedy, it's about the words coming out of your mouth. And, you know, there are, you know, there's ways to talk about the same topic in a, in a fresh way where no one will say that that's derivative, you know. Sure. But with magic, you might, be able to, you might do a totally fresh presentation of a trick that is similar to something somebody else did. Or mm-hmm. there's classics, you know. There's sure. certain pieces of magic that are totally on limits. Yeah. And then there's other things that are off limits. Yeah. And what makes something on limits and off limits might be a little twist, you know, or mm-hmm. instead of doing it with a lemon, it's with an apple, you know, like these yeah. little things. So the line of where it becomes theft or it's open for business is, is always moving. So I've been accused of stealing things uh, or doing things that some magician, you know, got riled up by. I've gotten really upset and riled up by other people doing things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think... You know, it's an it's a an evolving process where you it's it's harder because lately when I you know might do a trick or put something in the show, it gets you know because of the series it gets and the tour like it gets a lot of eyeballs sure, on it. Yeah, yeah. So um, 
it gets maybe scrutinized a little mm-hmm. a little harder, and so I have to work really really hard to make everything that I do feel fresh and unique yeah. and. You know, and, and you used to be able to do the same act your whole career, and now kind of, you know, I need to come up with a new hour. Well, that's a challenge of the show. So as we're sort of ramping down this interview, let's get back to Be More Human. It's going to release. Well, I'm more interested right now to continue this thread, which is just the idea of constantly challenging yourself and having five or six things every episode that are like kind of, you know, magic tricks Mm -hmm. and to keep coming up with that volume of kind of, uh, and then be able to execute them in a way that make it on the show and are effective Mm -hmm. and great entertainment and also make you think. Yeah. How do you stay in the zone of just the creativity and just kind of grinding through like, all right, does it ever feel like treachery? Like, oh my God come up with five more it, things. It is, because sometimes, like, you'll you'll hit a streak and you'll be like, oh, this bit's great because the, the tricks, you know, the ideas keep flowing in. And other times it's really, really tough and you know that it's going to be worth it when you crack that, crack the nut, whatever it's going to be. I like to take, you know, classics of magic. Like, there's, you know, there's only so many principles and tricks. Occasionally something fresh will come out, but most sure. of the time it's like doing a classic of magic, but doing it mm-hmm. about a thing that makes it new. So, like... Right. You know, like with the marshmallow test with the kids, yeah. you know, it's the cups and balls trick. A ball yep. goes under a cup, it disappears, it reappears. Yeah. But doing it with a marshmallow in a cup, you know, now it's not just about the trick, it's about this whole new thing. So right. it feels like it's brand new, even though that one little trick part of it is based on yeah. a classic that, sure. you know, is in all the books and is on limits, you yeah. know. Uh, the classic stage trip trick draping a cloth over somebody, whisking it away, and they're gone mm-hmm. by incorporating that as a convincer and the invisible man thing, using yeah. it as a way to convince a dude that I just made somebody else invisible. It kind of just becomes a little tool in it. And those those are satisfying me to me. Yeah. And I feel like those get a lot of respect from other magicians because you're kind of mm-hmm. taking what's been in, been, uh, what everyone has had access to or, and anybody could do, but doing it now in a way that makes it yeah. you know, one of a kind. That's That's fun for me. Yeah. But yeah, coming up with magic is magic is really really hard, yeah. which is why it's really great when you pull it off. Yeah, because um, there's there's so many factors that make yeah. something either work or not work. It, yeah, and I think it's um, there's a lot more at stake to me, at least it feels than like writing a, a good song. You know, I mean, like if you have a mediocre trick, it's gonna be mediocre, or at least you know what I mean. Like it, the standard, I think for why I find you amazing is just that the standard is so high and unique, but you really can't have kind of like really phone it in because people are watching and they're waiting. The part of the entertainment is trying to figure out what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we, you know, we were lucky with the first season of the show to set, I think a bar of, you know, excellence with the writing and the magic that now we have to match it or surpass it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 a grind. It's really hard to keep, yeah. you know, pulling off something that feels like you haven't seen that before. Right. And also, we don't know how you did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When does the show start? As of now, I think it's the fifteenth or fifteenth of October, and season two is coming out. In season two is coming out uh, December sixth on Netflix. On Netflix. Of course. And uh, I'm starting to tour again now that the yeah. edit's winding down. I'm going to yeah. now try to work on a bunch of new live stuff. Sure. Yeah. That's fun. Well, I can't thank you enough. It's been great. We, we sort of flipped the 
We sort of flipped the premise of the show. Didn't break the phone, though. I you know, didn't break it. Right? That's so good. I got so excited. I'll, I'll cue that up again because I'm an idiot. <laughs> um, so many mosquito bites. So know. we're going we're gonna to flip the switch on the, on the concept. Normally, normally, we do the portrait first, then sit down. Yes. But out here in L.A., it was, it, it's been reversed a lot. I like it. Like a, yeah. Uh, but I can't thank you enough. I really appreciated your, uh, you know, sort of, I, I think we've become friends. Obviously, we wouldn't have done this at, over time, but it's been so fun to collaborate with you. You've always returned little messages, and, uh, and we've gotten some legs out of the photography that, that yeah. we've done, and it's been cool to see you able to deploy that in a way that you, you like because... Um, you know, it is representative of who you are. So if it's something we collaborated on and it gets sees the light of day, I think we uh, maybe I did it. Yeah, okay well, thanks job. for always being so generous with your time and then generous with the use of those shots because it's been yeah, fun. It's to, fun to uh, see him go out. Yeah, and uh, and it's especially generous for you to to invite us to your home in Studio City. It's a really beautiful place. Thank you. You have beautiful family. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, wish you the best of luck. But I will definitely be running you down again in LA because now I feel like you know. Uh, should bring maybe, Fergie over maybe sometime. yeah I'll bring <laughs> there's a good closer uh-huh. Fergie for, yeah I'll bring Fergie bring back. Fergie back don't tell me why I won't alright thanks buddy bye bye what a great time that was with Justin in Studio City at his house again uh, thank you to Justin for hosting us and allowing us into his home and uh, you know giving us the time to talk to him about all these things um, I can't wait to go to the Magic Castle. That is on my list in L.A. I, I, hearing him describe it and just the importance it has for magicians uh, and the fact that we can all go there and catch a magic show, um, I'm, I'm very, very intrigued to hit that up next time I'm in L.A. Be sure to check out Magic for Humans on Netflix. It is a great show. I'm not gassing it up. You're going to love it. Check it out. And... Um, and then also in March of 2020, Justin Willman is coming back to LaughFest, and uh, you'll want to get tickets to that for sure because his live performances are very unique, very fun, very funny, and uh, there's a lot of great uh, mystifying magic in them as well. And uh, so, again, thank you, Metro Health, University of Michigan Health, and Dr. Peter Hahn for helping us get out to Los Angeles and record all these cool episodes. And also be sure to check out uh, Justin Willman's episode page at the fullexposurepodcast.com website. It is beautiful. Check it out. It is everything in one place. So uh, let's, uh, let's have a great week, everybody, okay? Let's go get it, all right? Take care. This Full Exposure podcast episode has been made possible through the support of Metro Health, University of Michigan Health, and Dr. Peter Hahn, who believe that creativity and the arts are essential to a rich, healthy, and fulfilling life.